Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. The Magic Story Podcast recaps the fiction story of Magic the Gathering with our own bits of flavor text along the way. We are currently in Season 6, which follows the story of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Last episode, we witnessed the finale within the core. And today's episode is the epilogue of that main story, and it follows our former planeswalker, Sahili. That's right, we're back with Sahili. I'm so excited. Now, she's not a planeswalker anymore. She, like many others, had lost her spark due to the results of the Phyrexian invasion, but she is here on Ixalan with her partner, Watley. And Ixalan, as we know, is anything but boring, especially now, after the events within the core. So as we follow Sahili in this episode, it sort of bookends the main story. We'll start in the events preceding when Watley and the others go underground, and end kind of parallel to the events we saw in the main story. We get to find out what Sahili has been up to on the surface while we've been preoccupied with a zealous bat god and the Myco Tyrant. Today's episode is called Pawns, and it's written by our very own Miguel Lopez, who we spoke to earlier this season and we're going to speak to again. Join us as we head into the multiverse. So fair warning to you all today. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, so hopefully, hopefully you can bear with me as we go as we go through this episode. And I apologize for any kitten noises that you hear because my cat Belmont has decided to chill out with me in this room. It's her room now. I rearranged my guest room and she found a spot in my window and just kind of stays there now. So I, I can't do anything about it. She's just here. Can confirm this cat is adorable. <laughs> she sneezed a second ago and I almost died of how cute it was. So anyway, apologies for any little meows that you might hear. All right. So we start today's episode on a beach with our good friend Sahili. Quick refresher on Sahili. She is from Kaladesh, specifically the city of Girapur, which we had last seen during the Phyrexian invasion in March of the Machine. Now, she is a brilliant artificer. And during the battle in Girapur, she had created giant golden mechanical lizards that fought off the Phyrexians. And during the Brothers War, she had, you know, no big deal, but recreated the Silex, which was created by Urza himself. So not an easy thing to do. So now she is here on Ixalan, still doing amazing artificing things like creating mechanical dinosaurs, which those in Ixalan call Quetzalcoatl. So they're uh, mechanical Quetzalcoatl. And oh my gosh, of course she is. She's Sahili. Why wouldn't she be? And she's enjoying this beautiful tropical beach on this plane as well. Now, she's catching clams or trying to. And honestly, I think she's just, you know, she's just thinking she's in her feelings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's trying to distract herself. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm feeling yeah. at the very beginning of this episode is that she's enjoying the beach, but kind of not really. She seems distracted. Yes. And at this point, Watley joins her with Pentlaza, which is, of course, Watley's Quetzalcoatl. And this moment is before Watley has ever journeyed underground. So we are actually going back in time to the start, to before episode one of the season. So that's where we are in the timeline. Okay, so this means that she and Pentlaza are actually still trying to get to know one another, which I loved this scene. It's adorable. They are, 
Yeah, they're play fighting in the shallows while Sahili is just kind of like, you know, in her thoughts and her feelings, kind of letting the sand sift through her hands as she's holding these clams. And in a discussion with Watley, Sahili remarks how sad she is to have lost her spark. So we're getting insight into why she's distracted here. And it's quoted as being a hole, a cavity, pain, like a missing limb that has been sunburned. And Watley really understands that loss too. We lost a gift, Watley says. We lost the multiverse, all its stories and all its wonders. She sat up. What do you think happened? Sahili smiled. Watley knew her well. Of course, she had already thought this out. There is a rule, Sahili said, a law of reality that asserts that its fundamental elements, mana, ether, those things, cannot be created or destroyed, only changed. Sahili mirrored the way Watley had cupped her hand with her own, then moved it out, away from her chest. Movement is change. So you think our sparks changed? Right. Our sparks were moved, not destroyed. Sahili dropped her hand to her lap. You cannot destroy the fundamental elements of reality, life and death, being and non-existence. It is all the same substrate, only the expression changes. And the location. And the location, Sahili agreed. Which is a really interesting theory on Sahili's part. I was certainly intrigued by hearing this. Yeah, like I my mind went in a lot of different directions when I read this. I was like, is this um, does that mean that the spark is like, you know, just like floating somewhere like we had seen with Nahiri uh, when she lost her spark that it was actually trapped in. Wasn't it trapped in a hedron? Yeah, it was trapped in a hedron. Yeah. And so is it like that or is it has it moved to another Per, another like humanoid who can now planeswalk like I don't know but those were the two theories that my mind went to do you know when you know I where, read this yeah do you know where my mind went um is you know there there's tons of theories we don't know for sure and and none of our planeswalkers really do either there's just a ton of speculation on, on what might have happened um there's there's speculation that the omen paths were created by you know realm breaker and ren sacrifice which could be very true um right but or maybe it's the silex that went off in the blind eternities which also could have punched the holes but i also wonder if this if these omen paths are also the remnants of the planeswalkers sparks that were lost oh um, where it helps to bridge like between realms, right? And that's what planeswalkers do is that they were able to kind of spark in between realms. They were able to walk between planes. And so I wonder if a combination of all of those things are what created the omen paths. I like that's an interesting theory, Natalie. I like that. We'll have to see. I I'm again I'm these are all theories. We don't know for sure. Yeah, we really don't know. And Watley goes on to say that Ixalan is vast and that she and Sahili can journey the old-fashioned way to these distant shores that no one has ever ventured before beyond this ocean. We can go together, the slow way, and find out. Explore this world that is new to you and me both. Sahili would like that, she thought. The slow way with Watley. She leaned in. I'm still sad, Sahili said, whispering her lips brushing Watley's. Me too, Watley replied. But we are here together, and we can go there together. Sahili smiled. She would like that very much. 
Days later, Watley and Sahili are before the assembly of the emperor himself. The boy emperor, the story calls him, because he is young at the time of the story. Apatsek Eatli IV would continue his father's rule, but the previous emperor had not planned to die at the hands of a Phyrexian assassin. The boy ascended the throne in the wake of the invasion, still a child, barely able to sign his name, much less understand and sway the politics of his court or his empire. And we learn here alongside Sahili the political mess Ixalan is in with this new ascension to the Sun Empire. The emperor's uncle, Atlakan, who rules over Pachatupa, clearly wants the throne for himself and is trying to sway the new emperor into his political claws. Meanwhile, there is Kaztaka, who is the eldest daughter of the late emperor and is the apex priest of the Threefold Sun, ruling over the citadel. So she also has tons of power. As the story tells it, a volatile situation, an empire split between aunt and uncle, both attempting to sway the boy and shape the future of the nation according to their desires. What history led to this moment would be upended as these giants struggled for command, racing against time to win the boy emperor's heart and mind before he grew wise enough to understand that he was only a gilded tool for their ambition. Sahili, however, sitting before the emperor and listening to these political squabbles, remarks on how small it feels in comparison to the enormity of what they had just been through with the Phyrexian invasion that had happened, and the expanses of the multiverse that were at stake not too long ago. Atlakan is speaking on behalf of the emperor as translator. He has an incredibly strict personality, very mighty, taking this regal positioning way too seriously. Watley is helping to translate to Sahili since they all speak different languages, but Watley and Atlakan are the common ground. The emperor inquires on Sahili's production of the artifice Quetzalcoatl, which the emperor calls Mechano Quatsakama, much to Sahili's amusement. Um, like she actually kind of like snorts here and has to catch herself because she's just it's just such a silly name to her. Yeah. And and Sahili, you know, Sahili is a former planeswalker. She was a politician on Girapur. Like she has seen the multiverse. So Like, I think to her, she was just remarking on how small all of these political squabbles kind of feel. It's like Sahili obviously is not taking the empire all that seriously. And I don't blame her either. She's not from here. You know, it's like this. This is dealing with personal stuff. too. Like losing your spark. Like that's pretty significant change to her life. Like and you're right. Like the Planeswalkers, they're really able to they hold such power just by being a planeswalker because people immediately trust them and want their help and so i think that there's this like lack of rules in situations like sahili could have you know snorted at just about anybody as a planeswalker and they would have excused her because they needed her help and they were desperate for it most of the time and she had power she had she could cross the multiverse and no one else besides planeswalkers could do that we're no longer in that reality and i think sahili along with many others are still learning this um and so no she's not taking the emperor all that seriously and it's it's just a very funny situation in that she's like snorting and not being very 
like not being very formal in this in this yeah what what the emperor and Atla Khan see as a very formal strict gathering like you are before the emperor how dare you snort and laugh like like it's just a it's a it's a really kind of silly almost human moment <laughs> so I just yeah, I really absolutely. related to Sahili in in this in this scene but despite Sahili's lightness the situation in the room is really tense Sahili tells them that production of the Meccano Quatsakama is running behind due to the slow speed at which she alone can teach others how to artifice these creations, which Atla Khan and the Emperor do not take lightly. And they insist that the Meccano Quatsakama be completed by the promised deadline, kind of or else. This whole exchange is extremely tense. Atla Khan barks rudely at Sahili the whole way through, and Watley is obviously wanting to rise to the defense of her partner, but she can't. It's the Emperor. And when they finally are given permission to leave, Watley is stopped by the Emperor, who explains that underground temples have been found beneath Arazka and that she is to investigate them. So Watley and Sahili kind of go away from this uh, political room with the emperor to talk privately, just away from any sort of ears. And it's and it's kind of sweet. They go out into um, the festival out into the street and, and they kind of like find this very secluded place and like surrounded by people, but very much away from any sort of political ears that would be interested in hearing. And here, this is when Watley tells Sahili that she thinks Atla Khan wants to resume the old emperor's war against the dusk legion vampires and will try to sway the new young emperor into believing the war is necessary. Sahili has the same reaction to Watley. Another war after still recovering from the Phyrexian invasion will not be stomached well by the people and it isn't exactly fair to them either. Watley, however, says she cannot openly defy the Sun Empire she can't planeswalk anymore, which means she can't evade repercussions of defiance. So she has to follow orders, which means she has to investigate these underground caverns of Ixalan. But Sahili, she can do something about the political ground up here on the surface in Watley's absence. It turns out that Kostaka, the high priest of the Threefold Sun, had already sought a private audience with Watley. Watley encourages Sahili to go on her behalf, claiming that Kostaka must be the one to win over the emperor's heart, not Atla Khan. Kostaka is the one to value peace. She is not here for going to war with the vampires. This is going to be a difficult task when Sahili is an outsider on this plane who does not speak the language, but she's Sahili, so she agrees to do it. So from here, we fast forward in time a bit, um, and this is after Watley's expedition had gone underground and a ship had taken Sahili away from Ixalan all the way across the sea to Queen's Bay. But poor Sahili is very seasick this entire void. <laughs> but poor Sahili is very seasick this entire voyage and miserable. And I have been seasick a handful of times and oh my God, Sahili, I am so sorry. I know how you feel, girl, and it is awful. But the thing about seasickness is that it kind of stops and you feel better as soon as the ship stops roiling, which is what happens about a week later. The ship weighs anchor off a stretch of islands and is finally still in a cold, damp, cloudy dawn. Sahili finally manages to leave her sickbed for the first time in a week and go up to the top deck, where the Brazen Coalition are all gathered around a cooking grill. As Sahili revels in like her first solid meal in a whole week, 
it turns out the high priestess has already sought out Sahili. Kostaka approaches with a group of priests on the deck of the ship before Sahili is even really able to compose herself. And this is how Kostaka is described. Kostaka was tall, made even more imposing by the broad helm of office she wore. She was flanked by a retinue of Conchiton, temple guards chosen for their faith, loyalty, and prowess, who were similarly garbed and additionally armored. Kostaka requests Sahili walk with her so that they may speak in private, or relative private, at least away from the brazen coalition pirates, essentially. And together, Kostaka and Sahili plan over a map of Ixalan where Kostaka lays the ground of where they are and the continents they speak of, specifically the location of Alta Torazon, the land of the vampires. And basically, so Torazon is the continent, right? So in Alta Torazon, there's all the vampires, but the rest of Torazon is humans, which the vampires view as food, but they call them uh, faithful servants. So little gaslighting mm-hmm. there super casual yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like yikes it's not a good situation for the poor humans who are living in the shadow no. of these vampires i don't think i'd want to live there no no i would not want to live there so kastaka asks sahili here about the mechano kuetsakama these machines sahili built and gave to the empire sahili confirms that these mechano kuetsakama are loyal to whoever owns the codes to them but Sahili has a master key to them all. And lastly, Kaztaka requests that Sahili write notes in her native language because Sahili is the only person on Ixalan who can read and write in it. I can do that, Sahili said. Good. Gather your things. We leave before the hour is out. And we jump in narration forward in time a bit, and we are now on the shore of the Sins with Sahili. Sahili stood on a dark, cold beach on the eastern coast of Sengael, the main island of the Sins, and looked out over the gray ocean toward Torrezon. The vampire's continent lurked behind a front of rain and low clouds, picked out by strings of coastal lights, lighthouses, and fishing vessels dispatched from the free cities. This was a cold shore, far from Ixalan's lush, warm green. Sahili shivered, pulling her raincoat tighter around herself. The sooner she could be done with this, the better. Now, rumors brought by those loyal to Kastaka had actually brought news from the other continents. Over the last few days, Sahili had been stationed here, speaking and planning with the high priestess over how they are to accomplish everlasting peace. And war fever just runs through the Sun Empire. The emperor is still grasped by Atlakan. And meanwhile, the news from Torazon, the continent Sahili can see from the shore of the Sens, is troubling. Rumors of fanatic religious cults speaking of a shadowy menace that will supplant the Church of Dusk, which... Hmm, I think we know what that is now that mm. we've read the, the whole story. So Torazon itself is just trembling on the precipice of war with itself, right? Like not just with the Sun Empire. So they're not in a good position either. And this is from the story. Sahili hurried the rest of the way up the path to the lighthouse and entered the small cabin at its base without knocking. The Sens were the home islands of the orcs, who had been reduced terribly by Alta Torazon. The countryside was quiet. There was no one else here but them. The interior of the lighthouse cabin was warm and smelled of coffee, ink, and the sea. A large table had been dragged to the center of the room, around which Kaztaka and her advisors sat. As Sahili entered, Kaztaka looked up, registered who it was, and then flicked her eyes to the open seat next to her, Sahili's station for the evening. Sahili made her way through the room, navigating the tense, murmured conversations. The Conchitan, 
kept their hands near their belts at the empty loops, where they usually wore their macuetos, fingers surreptitiously brushing the hard silhouettes under their clothing where they kept concealed knives. Trust, Kaztaka said to Sahili as she settled in, will be forged tonight by shared betrayal. Do you understand? Sahili nods to the High Princess, speaking briefly about a time she and her friends stole items in Girapur and swore never to tell anyone. And they have remained closer friends ever since. I love this story because it's so small potatoes. She's like, yeah, yeah. it's basically like, yeah, me and my friend, we stole some like candy from the store. But it we was were like better that story. friends because yeah. of it, you know, and like, <laughs> and I, I just, think that High Princess is yeah. just like, cool. <laughs> You know, like, yeah, yeah. great story, friend. Uh, yeah. All right. So the small assembly in the lighthouse, which consists of Sahili, a few members of the Sun Empire and Kostaka and several members of her court is now joined by St. Alinda herself. Sahili recalled what little Watley had told her about Alinda, the first vampire, the early unnamed battles against the Legion the race to Araska, the immortal sun, and Alinda's castigation of her own people. Here are the pieces machined by history's lathe falling into place. Alinda is accompanied by four other vampires who enter the lighthouse first. Now, Sahili remarks on their pallid skin and austere postures, but they remove their weapons, laying them by the door, and then Alinda walks in. And I'm going to read this from the story. The venerable swept her hood back as she entered the cabin uncovering her face and revealing a soft, steadily glowing diadem that crowned her head. A halo, the sign of canonization, of veneration, a divine investiture in this single person. Though Alinda's skin was as gray as her companions, it lacked the austere cast. Her cheeks were flushed as if the cold and wind had chapped her face, or rather, as if she had just fed. The venerable looked over the Sun Empire party, her eyes glowing a soft, warm gold. She smiled, and Sahili could see the tips of her fangs poking just out from under her lips. Aztaka greets her amiably. Then the two priestesses begin to talk of the trouble stirring in each of their respective continents. So Alinda, the Dusk Rose, is a card in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. It's actually the face card of one of the commander decks. So that's super exciting. So basically, you can play as Alinda in Commander. And her card art is just absolutely gorgeous. She's standing in front of a temple, and that light is just glowing off of her. And she has these amazing, first of all, her hair, right? Like, her hair is, like, so long and black and got those, like, beautiful wavy curls in it. And it's just like billowing and her costuming is just incredible. I mean, she's got like this like very iconic ruffle that's very high up. So it's like right under her chin. So it like frames her face in this really cool way. And then she has on these robes with like this black glove. She's got a big sword. Anyway, it's just such a cool card. Uh, it also has lifelink, which I just think is fun for a vampire to have lifelink. So anyway. Kaztaka reveals that the emperor turns his attention towards Torzon by the claws of Atlakan, wanting war to resume. Alenda speaks of the expedition of vampires being led underground, led by Vito, which is not sanctioned by the Church of Dusk and seeks menace and violence. Learning of this, Sahili is frightened for Watley, but there's nothing she can do. Sahili merely keeps writing her notes of this interaction. 
Kazutaka is confident Watley will stop Vito and his zealous ambitions. If Aklazots sets one claw on Torazon, the realm will tear itself apart, Elenda said, repeating herself. Elenda's face lost its light. For a moment, the luster that suffused her cheeks flickered. I cannot let that happen, she whispered, and you cannot let your brother lead your emperor to war. Despite her anger, Sahili found herself drawn to Elenda. Divinity, she deduced, of course. Proximity to the divine, any divine, was difficult to resist. She understood that magnetism, some fundamental principle of the multiverse that she, a mortal being, felt as something more. Sahili pushed back against that desire to follow, turning it instead into an examination of the small details of Elenda's mortality that lingered. The wisp of gray in her long, dark hair. The gentle spray of freckles across the bridge of her nose. Just then, Alinda senses that someone else is here at the lighthouse. Someone who wasn't invited. Bursting in through the door, accompanied by a slew of pirates and orcs, is Admiral Brass, leader of the Brazen Coalition. She and her fellow pirates draw weapons. Those within the room, Sun Empire and vampires alike, draw theirs. But then a call for peace and the lowering of weapons happens. A woman's voice, one accustomed to command, to needing to be heard over the howl of wind and angry shouting. Stand down, all of you. The woman strode into the cabin following the steady point of her straight-bladed cutlass. She was older, wrinkled and sunburnt, but carried herself with an oaken strength. She wore sailor's clothing, a heavy wool coat, a bicorn hat which she swept off her head, and sturdy, salt-stained boots. Eventually, Alinda turns to her vampire guards and tells them to stand down, too. And Kostaka does the same to her own party. So, I really like Admiral Beckett Brass. I mean, first, what a name. And secondly, this woman is all business and an incredible negotiator. She's bursting in here to confront two of the most powerful people on Ixalan. And I'm going to describe her card for you all. Um, she is also a commander card. She's one of the face commanders in Lost Caverns of Ixalan, the set. Uh, so if you want a really awesome pirate commander deck, I highly recommend uh, Admiral Beckett Brass. The name of the card is Admiral Beckett Brass. It is a blue, a black, red commander, legendary creature, human pirate. Uh, Admiral Beckett Brass also gives plus one plus one to all the other pirates that you control. So that's really, really cool. And she just looks like the coolest pirate you could possibly imagine. Like she's standing atop this kind of obliterated ship deck. Like you can tell she just kind of burst in here. She like busted down the top of this deck. And she, she definitely is cannoned that business. ship, right? Like she oh, 100% she definitely cannoned her cannon. Ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's in here with this giant like trifold hat that is just like blue and gold and all like gilded and she has this cape like this golden cape that is just flapping in the wind and she is like covered with like cutlasses and weapons and she's got like a like a rope in her hand it's just like she is all freaking business and wow what a cool pirate um like yeah, her, the rope her get up is yeah in her costuming is it's incorporated everywhere. Like it's her belt. Yeah. It's on her boots. It's so cool. And what's interesting though, is that to me, those navies and golds really make me think of, they make me think of nautical. They make me think of, of like, especially like us Northeastern kind of vibe. So she has this like elevated look, like she does mm -hmm. not look like a pirate mm -hmm. who has been 
you know, uh, sitting in a uh, what's it called? What's the the bird bird's eye view thingy on the ship? Crow's nest. A crow's nest. A crow's nest. Yes. Yeah. It's not like she's been sitting in a crow's nest under the sun all day, and her clothes are like all sunburnt and stained. No, she and is pristine. She's pristine. Like, she's clearly been sitting yeah. in her captain's quarters, and she is comfy as heck. And if you are knocking on her door, you better have a good reason to be interrupting her. And her hat, the um, gold embossing on it. Uh, makes out half of the wheel of a ship, which is so yeah, cute. Yeah, it's, it's just it's so it's thoughtful. Just, it's so yeah. thought out. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your yeah. description, but like, no, oh, that's amazing. Those are all so amazing good. points. I can't agree more. Uh, Admiral Beckett Brass, human, legendary creature, human pirate for your brand new commander deck. There you go. I mean, it's 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 just a it's just an incredible card. So I really like Admiral Beckett Brass as a character as well. She has burst in here to confront. Like, like I said, the two, two of the most powerful people on Ixalan, besides the emperor himself, I mean, I can't name two more powerful people than the first vampire, St. Alinda, and Kaztaka, the, the apex priestess of the threefold sun. Like, and yeah. she has come in here and she says, you came here on my ship to haggle over nations on my island. Admiral Beckett Brass smiled over her sword at Alinda. Mate. You need to adjust your expectations as to the role of the courier when your cargo is this good. What do you want? Kaztaka interjected. Gold? Information? We have already paid your mercenaries. Our debt is settled. Oh no, it is not. Not to Brass. Not to a pirate. Right, come on, you're dealing with a pirate here. Now Brass demands that she is Governor Brass in this negotiation between nations, and she demands that the Brazen Coalition be an independent land with equal political power amongst the nations of Ixalan. And this is from the story. A land of free people, the open ocean, and every island between here, she gestured to the ground beneath her feet, and there, she said, pointing west toward distant Ixalan. There is a great game being played here. You two are prepared to wager thrones and crowns like coins. Regicide and fratricide are on the table and the player's hands all but dealt. Brass flicked the sword tip between the two other women as she talked. Well, ladies, I'm here as well, and I'm the one with a grip full of cutting steel. Brass's eyes shone like chips of sky, piercing, clear. One more hand to deal. My coalition demands recognition as a player of this game on equal terms. If Alinda and Kastaka refuse this, the Brazen Coalition will wage its own war against them. And they're in their territory right now. So that's that's not a good thing. Yeah. They have no way home without yeah. the Brazen Coalition ships. <laughs> they're so yeah. Marooned, if you the, will. Remember, remember, they're on an like an archipelago. Like they're on the Sens. They're on an island. How are they supposed to get off this island without the Brazen Coalition? So Brass kind of has a good point here. <laughs> they have been using the Brazen Coalition to kind of their own means, like like kind of using them for transportation and not recognizing their power or any of it. And so Sahili kind of like speaks up at this point, saying they should agree to Brass's terms. Not only not only does Brass bring up a good point in that they kind of need the Brazen Coalition in order to get off this island, but also if they earn the Brazen Coalition's like alliance, that's another piece in this game against the wars ahead. Um, and Alenda and Kastaka hesitate, though, like and, and they also know the history 
of the Brazen Coalition against the rest of this plane. Like they claim that the Brazen Coalition has killed thousands of innocent lives and they did wage war not too long ago during the Phyrexian invasion. The pirates cannot be so easily trusted to honor their word. But here, Brass offers up information. And this is when she said that the Empire seeks, a, the Empire, the Sun Empire, so the Emperor back on Ixalan, seeks alliance with the Brazen Coalition and would secure the seas for the Emperor. But Brass is here, wanting something different, with different political powers. So ultimately, Alenda and Kaztaka finally agree to the terms. Can you consider that agreeing you, when you have a sword pointed at you? You know, like, yeah, did, they, mean, did they agree kinda, or did they, <laughs> co- like, uh, acquiesce? Yeah. yeah you know? it's, it's more of an acquiesce. Yeah. But <laughs> you know what? I think Brass will take it. I, I yeah. think, and I think Brass is secretly kind of proud that, that she got, she got the two high priestesses to acquiesce to her yeah. terms. We will write you letters of Mark, Alenda said to Brass. Stop Vito and his acolytes from returning to Alta Torazon. Kill them in Arazka or sink them in the ocean. I do not care. If you can do that, I will see the queen recognize the coalition's claims as legitimate. Gratitude for service to the crown and the church. Brass grinned. She reached out, offering Alenda her hand. Alenda met hers and shook, grimacing. And you? Brass asked Kastaka, reaching out to her. What will you have us do for our nation? Our second dawn fleet, Kaztaka said, at the end of summer, after the first of the hurricanes announced the end of safe construction. Burn those ships on the docks. Draw the Imperial Army to the coast, away from the capital. Expose the Emperor and his whisperer to me. Brass extended her hand. It's a deal, she said. Everyone around the room agrees with a done. And then Sahili does her awesome magic. She demands everyone toss in a coin because she needs metal. And under this rain of coins, Sahili spun a fine copper, silver, and gold container around the document. She embellished it a little, etching a filigree pattern across its face, but was sure to seal it against the elements. When she was done, she lifted the seamless metal cylinder up, inspecting her work. So only Sahili can open this contraption without destroying the document inside, and the agreement is bound in magic now. So the room agrees that Alinda will carry it. And it's not long after this negotiation that Admiral Brass and St. Alinda both take their leave of the lighthouse, returning to their respective lives to prepare for what they're calling the New World. Silence followed the Venerable's departure. The rain beat on the tiled roof. Wind rattled the storm-shuttered windows in their frames. Kaztaka sat quiet, frowning, staring at the divot where Brass had plunged her cutlass. Further, Sahili guessed, into the belly of the world, where agents of both nations raced on errands of opposed sovereigns. This diplomatic artifice was hideous to Sahili, disorganized, messy in cost, efficiency, trust, and human lives. Alliances shifted. Decisions were made not on facts, but leaps of faith and trust. Friends and rivals traded masks constantly. As in Kaladesh, power never settled into equilibrium, but was always up for grabs. No decision was final if it was a decision made by multiple people for multiple people. At the same time, Sahili rejected the tyrant's logic of stability contained in a single body. The capricious, selfish aims of an autocrat promised a doomed, fatal consistency. No equilibrium in many, no justice in one. Where could there be peace? 
what is a limma? I mean, yeah, what, seriously. What is the answer? There, there isn't an answer, right? There isn't. There's no, there's no peaceful answer, unfortunately. You know, like there's the the political situation in Ixalan is so complicated that you know it's it's kind of just trading one power for another and it's not, neither one is better than the other and i think this is what sahili is learning here yeah and i think like what she's learning too is that it doesn't matter where she goes in the multiverse it's the same everywhere there is there's one side that wants one thing for its people and there's another side that wants something different for its people and those sides often go to war and that balance is always trying to be struck i mean politics and the multiverse are not easy they're they're not always straightforward and this is you know this is one of those instances now kastaka yep. turns to sahili and confirms that watley the warrior poet will support her and not the emperor and sahili confirms this to be true but she's a little miffed that kastaka is in much more need of a sword like watley's at the end of the day it seems to always come down to who can draw a sword and watley's so much more than her sword and this is from the story Kastaka extended her hand to Sahili. Sahili reached out with her own. The two women shook hands and then walked out into the howling gale, escorted by the temple guards. Sahili followed Kastaka toward the shore, down from the lonely cabin and out across the dark sand of Sengael. The launch bobbed in the shallow water, held in place by brazen coalition pirates and a pair of Kastaka's Conchaton, who stood knee-deep in the breakwater. Chidladi already sat inside the launch, waiting for them. Cold surf surged up the strand, rippling and rolling around their ankles. The chill was sharp, clarifying. A bitter rain lashed down from the tumult above, and the ocean rolled, and distant Boston whistles trilled. So Sahili boards the ship that brought her to this island, sailing off back to Ixalan, back to the Sun Empire, back to Watley. But knowing the lands of Ixalan will never be the same from here. And that's the end of the epilogue. Like, that's the very end of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan, period. Like, wow. Which doesn't sound like an ending at all. It sounds like the beginning of something new. A beginning. Yeah. 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 And and that's, you know, that's that's the truth of it, is that the story is kind of unending. You know, in every plane we have visited so far on, on this podcast, it's it feels like the beginning of something new. And that's and that's to me is what makes Magic Story so special, is that it is the multiverse is huge and mm -hmm. the stories in Ixalan have only just begun. And we have now journeyed to Ixalan twice now in magic's history. And it feels like it's just beginning. And that's such a cool feeling that it's stories are unfolding for us and becoming more complex and more, just more. And we're realizing mm -hmm. You know, sorry, pun intended. The depths of this plane isn't <laughs> at all what we thought, you know, at the beginning. And and so it makes me very, very nervous and excited as to what the future of Ixalan really is. I mean, I know we said this at the end of last episode as well, when we had like the Myco Tyrant and Aklazots, you know, like running free, causing chaos in, in Ixalan now. But it's like and, and even here we're seeing the political game unfold and and shift and understand that the the complexities of how Ixalan goes forward is is going to be it's going to be interesting. I have no answers, but I just think it's going to be very interesting. What I think is really fascinating is like that all of this took place before the story. 
Yes. And yeah. so I want now that Aklazots is free, we don't know where he is. Now that the Myco Tyrant has gotten loose, we really don't know what their how their priorities are going to shift. But I imagine that um, Admiral Brass particularly is either aware already or is about to become aware after after the events of the entire season. Right. I feel like she's either about to know or does know that something's going on with the pirates because they were the micro tyrant was on a ship. So and and Sunray Bay was completely empty of ships. So yeah. the micro tyrant could be anywhere and everywhere. So how are their priorities going to shift as these big, exactly important, horrible things are now just let out loose among their people who they're trying to protect? You know, like, which is the bigger threat, the the politics or the monsters? Yeah. Yeah. And I am I am super excited for next week's episode on the podcast because we are inviting Miguel and a video back on to discuss all of this that we've we've learned so much about Ixalan there is so much going on we have so many questions I can't wait to talk more with Miguel in a video again now that we have seen this story and now that we know some answers and have a whole lot more questions yes um, we're going to be able to dive into it next week which is which is really really exciting well I just want to say one more time how much I loved this season Returning to Ixalan and recognizing how much it has changed and how much more we've seen of it was just such an exciting adventure. And I am really sad to leave it, honestly. But we do have to move on to our next season, however, with more stories to be told across the multiverse. That's just the amazing thing about magic. There are so many stories across so many different planes. It never truly ends. So if you, like us, enjoyed this episode or this season or just enjoy this podcast, we'd super appreciate it if you leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us out so much and your support for Magic Story is definitely heard. Now, we still have that episode coming up of Origins Part 2 where we're going to sit back down with Ovidio and Miguel and talk about everything that's just happened. So stay tuned for that next week. We will see you next time. But until then, have have a magical magical day. day.